Well, I don't, know, I don't know about you, but I've had the experience to know a number of powerful prayers in my life. Have you ever had a relationship with someone who you just know is a person of prayer? I mean, these are people that don't just say, I'll pray for you. These are people that stop right there and pray. And it's not only that they pray, it's how they pray, right? That there's this confidence and there's this power in what they say and you feel like Jesus is almost like leaning in to hear their prayer. I got to tell you, as a church, we're blessed. We have a number of people in our church that I would say are powerful prayers. I mean, oftentimes at the end of service, you'll find them under the crosses. You may see him in the lobby praying with people or in the courtyard. And sometimes if you just sit here for a minute after church, you might see things spring up right here in the sanctuary, right in the aisles. But I was, when I was thinking of a great example of a person of prayer at our church, I came up with, with a name first, Harvey Bays. You guys remember Harvey Bays? Those of you who have been here a long time, Harvey Bays was a missionary in Thailand for over 20 years. He was a husband to his wife, Grace, for over 60 years. And wrapped up in that life of service and dedication was a man of prayer. And man, there are times where I just ask Harvey to come up in service just to pray over the people. It would take him a little bit to get up the steps and come up. And then he'd get in his stance and he would bring it. And it wasn't just that he prayed. It was how he prayed with confidence, dedication, commitment. And man, when he finished my pr his prayer, it was my favorite part because he would pause. And then he'd say, in Jesus' name. And that's how he finished all of his prayers. Man, I miss Harvey. <laughs> Harvey no longer has to pray because he's in the presence of God right now. But I was thinking about people in this church who have had an influence in my life, people who were of prayer. Harvey Bays was the first one. There's another person that we all know known to be a man of prayer. That's the Apostle Paul. Man, some of my favorite prayers in Scripture were penned by the Apostle Paul. Two of my favorites are found in this very letter, the letter of Ephesians. And as we read through it, you're going to hear Paul's confidence, his power, his dedication. And as I've constantly read through these prayers, it makes me wonder, man, what did Harvey have? What did the Apostle Paul have that I don't? Man, what did they see about God that we don't? What existed in their life that we're missing? What, what do we need to add into our life in hopes that we might not only be able to pray like them, but live like them? See, so I wonder if the two are connected. Man, I don't know very many people that lived and prayed like Paul. And I don't know very many people who lived and prayed like Harvey. And what do we need to add to our Christian identity? 
that they had. That's the purpose of this next week's passage. If you have your Bibles, you can join me in the book of Ephesians chapter 1. While you're turning there, I'll recap the beginning part of our series. We began our study of Ephesians where Paul proudly and clearly delineated not only his Christian identity, but theirs and yours, called you saints, people who are set apart by God's power. He not only set you apart, but empowered you as an instrument of his glory. Two verses the next week, we just went over one sentence, but what a sentence it was. In this huge run-on sentence, Paul dictated the five blessings that we were given in our identity as a saint. First thing Paul said is we were called. God chose you. Man, in the midst of all of your brokenness, all of your fears, all your failures, God chose you. Not only did he just pick you, but he picked you to be adopted into his family, that you would have all the rights and all everything that came with being a child of God. And along with that adoption, then you were redeemed like all of your past life, all of your failures in the past and all of your failures in the present were paid for. You're a new creation. Man, once you accept the blessing of salvation, you are a new creation. All of your crimes, all of your debts, God wiped all those clean and you are a new creation. That brought us to the fourth blessing a new creation that was purposed for his glory. He didn't just redeem you to put you on a shelf and look at you. He puts you, he redeemed you, he chose you into his family so you can be a part of his kingdom and at work bringing him glory. The fifth blessing of your sainthood, the fifth blessing of your identity is that you're sealed. Man, there's nothing you can do that is too dark, too grave, too rebellious, too angered-filled to separate you from the love of God. In fact, the Apostle Paul said, you're sealed in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was given to you as a down payment. The Holy Spirit is just the first step of what you're to be given as a child of God. Man, you think Pentecost was crazy. Man, just wait for what else God has in store for you. The Holy Spirit was just the start. So now this week, Paul gets into one final step. If you truly want to embrace your identity, the first thing you've got to know is know who you are. The second thing you need to know is the blessings that God gave you. And the third thing Paul said is you need to know God as he does. You need to know God as he does. Let's look through it. Ephesians Chapter 1, for verse 15. Let's just read this whole section. We'll break it down. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Paul says, For this reason, because of everything that God has done for you, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Paul continues and says, I pray 
that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory and the inheritance in the saints and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come and put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and in all. Amen. Man, let's get through that prayer because again, if you want to, if you're not against writing in your Bible, you can write in yours as I have mine. Man, this is one of my favorite prayers because of what Paul prays for Christians back then and I believe what Paul prays for Christians still today. It begins this way. He says, again, verse 15, for this reason, because of your identity, because of everything God has done, having heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints. Paul says, I know you're Christians. I know you love Jesus. I know you love one another. I know you're a great church. Paul says, man, I know that you love Jesus and are striving to walk with him. And because of all that, verse 16, I do not cease giving thanks for you. Man, I love you as a church. You are fantastic. You're incredible. You're amazing. But I also mention you in my prayers. Man, not only am I thankful for you, but I pray for you. Here's the first thing. Look at verse 17. What does Paul pray for these good people who love Jesus, who are part of a great church? says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. First thing Paul prays, I pray that you know God. That term know, by the way, is used to describe a full knowledge, complete understanding of God. In other words, Paul is saying that these Christians, they know God, but they fail to have a full and complete understanding of who he is. Paul says, man, I pray that you gain a fuller understanding of who God is and what he's about. I know you know a piece of him. Paul says, I want you to keep learning and knowing everything about him. In fact, he says, I pray that God will give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Now, there's some people who misunderstand that passage. There's some people who think that there's another, there's an extra little dose of Holy Spirit that Paul's praying for. Like, hey, you don't have everything. I'm praying that God stops withholding the Holy Spirit from you, that there's a second blessing, that there's a second filling, that there's more Holy Spirit that comes with you and give comes to you and gives you a more full exp- understanding and experience of who God is. And I just want you to know that is not what Paul is saying. Paul is not saying, I'm praying that God sends you a second dose of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, I pray you have an attitude, a disposition that God gives you a hunger to know God. Man, I think sometimes as Christians, we're content with John 3.16, that God loves me, great, sweet. God sent his son, fantastic. 
I'm saved and I don't have to worry about judgment. Yep, sweet, I'm good. Peace out. See you, Jesus, in heaven. And Paul's saying, I'm, you want to know your full identity? You want to experience the fullness of God in your life? You want to live in a kooky culture with confidence? And have an ability to transform culture in the power of God? Man, Paul says, first thing, you've got to know God. I pray that God gives you this hunger, this disposition, this desire to know God more. I was remembering uh, this week, I didn't clear this to my son, so Andrew, I apologize. When he was in fourth grade, Andrew came up to me, it's like one of the first Sundays in the fall in fourth grade, and he said, all right, I know everything there is about the Bible. I thought, wow. I mean, I knew he was gifted, but that's crazy. I'm like, why do you think that? He goes, well, we started over. At that time in children's ministry, we had this very limited curriculum where we went through certain stories, and once you got to fourth grade, I guess we started over. So Andrew's like, well, we started over, so I must know it all. I think oftentimes Christians enter into that same thing. When Andrew came and said, I know it all, I was like, you know about Ehud, the left-handed judge? who all of culture cast him aside, but not God. God used him to deliver his people. You know that? No. You know about when God used a donkey to preach his truth? No. Well, brother, we got some work to do. I think the same thing with you. Paul's like, don't think you know it all. I mean, God is infinite. God is all powerful. I mean, if you think for an instant you have God figured out, A, Repent of your arrogance and be get to work. That's why as a church, I mean, we have Bible studies up the wazoo here. Tuesday morning, ladies, it's packed with ladies studying the word. There's snacks, there's songs, there's fellowship. We're studying the word. Why? Man, if you want to grow and influence, you got to know God. Wednesday morning, fellas, this room, oh, what are you in this room now or that room? I don't know. We keep moving you, but there's this growing group of men that meet Wednesday morning, Wednesday night, this growing group of men that meets on Wednesday night. Also Wednesday morning, this church is filled. There you go. More ladies. Guys, you got to step it up. Ladies take over the building Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, Thursday morning. Take over this place and study in the Bible. Man, we have small groups that study the Bible. We have classes on Sunday that study the Bible. And Jeff writes these study guides to continue to give you opportunity to study the Bible on your own. Man, Paul says, please, you need to understand. If you want to understand your identity and all that God has in store for you, First thing you need to do, Paul says, I pray that you have a hunger for the word of God and to know more of who God is. Paul's not done. You know prayers. They keep going. So does Paul. First thing he says, I want you to know God. Number two, he says, I want you to know his calling. 
Look what he says, verse 18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. Let's stop there. First of all, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. I was thinking this week, there's a number of light switches in the church that have dimmer switches. You know what I'm talking about? Like you have full light and you have little light. And I've been noticing that around some of our staff people, man, they love sitting in the dark. I I don't know what it is. They turn off the lights and they put these little things on their ceiling. And it's like I'm walking through. I can't even know if they're in there. At my age, at my old age, I need the light. I don't like to sit in the dark. We're even talking today. These lights in here, 100%. And some of you are coming in, oh, I love it. I love it. It's just ambiance. There's mood lighting. Others of us are trying to find the chairs, trying to figure out where we're sitting. I think there's a lot of times Christians like to live in the dark. They like just good enough when it comes to the knowledge of God and the knowledge of his will for them. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that term enlightened, that God turns the lights full bore, 100%. Flashlight, spotlight. Man, I pray that the eyes of your heart, I pray that you see it. Man, you think this is all there is to your Christian walk and to your life in Christ? Paul's like, I pray that God turns the lights on. You're sitting in the dark. First area, he wants God to shine his light. I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Why? So you'll know what is the hope of his calling. The term hope means to have an expectation and anticipation. It describes a belief that comes with an excitement for the results. Man, that you have this anticipation of something's going to happen because of what God has called you to do. A term call, a role that you were given, a task you were assigned, a responsibility that God has given you. Paul prays, I pray that God shines a light and opens your eyes to the anticipation and the excitement that you should have towards what God is going to do in your life and through your life. So what is it? Do you know your calling? Do you know what God's called you to be about? I got to tell you, I talk to pastors and Christians, and that's always a big question. Well, I don't know what I'm called to do. Let me answer it for you. We went over it last week, but let me help you with it. Flip back in your Bible. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 8. About five words in, right? Remember, that's one big run-on sentence. So the, the numbers, the verse numbers are kind of put in weird spots. So follow me. Paul says this, in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will. Remember, we went over the mystery of his will. What's God's will? That no man perish. Everyone has eternal life. Man, God's desire is that when people see Jesus, they will give their hearts to him. The mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of all of times. That is, what's he talking about? The summing up of all things in Christ, that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. This Jesus Christ is Lord. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who are the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. Verse 13, in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, 
the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. And you are called to be an instrument of God's glory to bring everything under the name of Jesus Christ. You want to be a doctor? Fantastic. Be a doctor who also brings everything under the name of Jesus Christ. You want to be a therapist, a counselor? You want to be a lawyer? You want to be a math teacher? You want to be a trash guy? You want to be a pastor? Your call is all the same. God has saved you. He has chosen you. He has redeemed you and purposed you and given you the Holy Spirit so that you will be a witness to the ends of the globe to bring people in subjection of who Jesus is, preferably before he returns. Because when Jesus returns and does it himself, there's no more options. That's why we have Reach Month. Twice a month, we try to resource you, equip you, remind you, and we spend time praying every month for one person that God has placed in your life for them to see Jesus through you. Because we believe, man, this is what we're called to do. Some of us might be better at it than others, but we're all called to it. One person that God has placed in your life just to hear your testimony of what God has done in your life and share the truth of the gospel with them. You don't know what to say? We have great Bibles at the Information Center that just walk you through it. Still don't know what to say? Just tell them what Jesus did for you. When you have that name, if you could, write it on the canvas board in the lobby so every time I pass by it, I can be praying for them and for you. And every time you pass by it, you can be praying for them and for others. Because we believe Paul is saying, man, I pray that you get it. Man, that you're not here to put some sort of political power in motion. You are here to put a spiritual power in motion. You want to vote? Knock yourselves out. But your hope and your calling is in preaching the gospel and helping other people see Jesus as he does. Paul says, I pray that God opens your eyes as if it's possible for good people who love Jesus to miss it. Paul says, I pray. I pray that God opens your eyes to not just your calling, but the hope and the excitement that comes with it. Man, I can't wait to see what God does in the Chino Valley because of you. I can't wait to see what God does in your homes because of you and in your family because of you. And hey, why not stop, why stop there in our state because of you? Man, I can't wait. Paul says, I pray that God opens your eyes, that you see it like I do, that you have this hope, this excitement, this anticipation of your calling. Paul continues, because I just don't pray that God opens your eyes and shines a light so that you might see the hope of your calling, but third, that you might know the riches of his inheritance. He continues, he says, what are the riches? I also pray, he says, the, 
that your heart may be, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saint. That term riches describes a large wealth, an abundance of resources, a huge treasure, inheritance, something that is rightfully passing from one person to another. It describes something that is due to someone because of who they are. And look, many people read this passage and are like, yes. What are the riches of my inheritance in the saints? Is that what it says? Man, people talk about, do you know how much you're going to get when you get in heaven? You're an heir of creation. You're a child of God. Man, you have all of these blessings coming to you and jewels in your crown, and we all start talking about rewards, and that is not what this is about. Yes, you are an heir of creation. And man, you are going to be given far more than you deserve or earn. And I, I would argue you've already been given that. As I have. Paul's prayer. Man, I pray for you. Good Christian people. Again, Church of Ephesus. Good people who love Jesus. Fantastic church. Paul has nothing negative to say to these people. But he's saying, man, you guys are just scratching the surface. I pray that you know who you are. That you have a hunger to know the word. That you have a hunger to know God. That you will understand the hope and excitement that comes with what God has purposed you to do. And then Paul says, I pray, God, you open their eyes. That they might understand the abundant wealth of the glory of what you deserve. Paul, I pray you open their eyes that they don't think about just what they get. But they think about, God, what you're going to get. God's inheritance. You know, God has an inheritance. Something that is rightfully his. Something that is going to pass from one person to another because of who he is. Man, Paul says, I pray God opens your eyes. Do you think about more than what you're going to get? And again, I want to tell you, you're going to get a ton. Not because you deserve it, but because God loves you. And he lavishes his blessings on you. Both now and into eternity. Paul says, but everyone already knows that. I pray that you start getting in your mind, that you start celebrating the inheritance that God is going to get. Let me show you something. Put your thumb in Ephesians if you don't mind. Flip over to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 18 is about the judgment of God on the sins and brokenness of this world. And after chapters of pain and judgment, the Bible suddenly breaks into worship and celebration. Look at what he says. I love it. It says this, chapter 19, verse 1. After these things, these things, the judgment of God, after these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, praise God. Woo, woo. Salvation and glory and power belong to who? God. Because his judgments are true and righteous. He's judged the great harlot who is corrupting the earth with her immorality. He has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. 
And the second time they said, hallelujah, praise God. Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne saying, amen, hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, give praise to our God. Oh, you, his bondservants who fear him, the small and the great. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, hallelujah. For Lord, our God, the Almighty, reigns. You want to know the inheritance of God? When everything's said and done and his people come together and glorify him and worship him and bring him glory and praise. Paul says, I pray. I pray that your eyes would be enlightened, that God does something, opens your eyes, shine a light in your soul. Man, what you're living for right now is more than just what you get. What you're living for right now is anticipation of what God gets. Man, I love that. I, people say we're the most self-centered generation within history. I look at it and say, well, probably not. Because the people of Ephesus were just like you and me. We get distracted by our wealth, by our jobs, by our position, by our power, by our hope, by our plans, by our salvation, by our eternal rewards. And God, Paul says, I pray that God peels the darkness away from your mind. That you will understand was the hope of his inheritance the anticipation that we have that one day we will be there when God gets what he is due. See, God has done everything. He has done everything so that you might have an opportunity to be reconciled with God and restored to him. The sacrifice, immense patience that God has had in this, but there will come a time where he inherits everything he is due, where his people celebrate his glory and recognize his authority and his power. Paul says, you want to really understand your identity. Know who you are. Know what God has given you. But then Paul says, I pray that you have a hunger to know God more. I mean, I pray that you understand the hope of your calling I pray that God will open your eyes. You'll know the riches of his inheritance. That you will live in a way that's not about you. It's not about us. It's not about our kingdom. It's about his kingdom. His kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And again, like all good prayers, he's still going. There's one last thing he wants you to know. Paul says, I pray that you know God, that you have a hunger to know him more. I pray that you know the hope of your calling, that you see God's desire to use you for his glory. I pray that you live differently, that it's not about what you get, but you recognize more and more that you're living about getting God what he deserves. You're a part of that plan. And lastly, you know the greatness of his power. Brian, is all this going to be possible? I mean, what Paul is praying, the way Paul lives, it's as if he has this confidence 
Man, the way that Harvey Bays gave 20-plus years of his life to be a missionary in Thailand, 60-plus years to the same woman. Man, what did Harvey see that we don't? What did Paul see that we don't? What did James and John and Peter, what did they see that we don't? Paul says, I pray that God will enlighten the eyes of your heart. He'll turn the lights on in your mind you will know the greatness of his power. Look at verse 19. He says, and what is the surpassing greatness? By the way, I want you to know in this passage, he uses four different words to talk about the power of God. What is the, uh, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of his strength, of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and in all. You're like, holy cow, what makes God think that he can do all that? Paul says, that's what I'm praying that God will open up your eyes that you might see the greatness of his power. That term power from the Greek word dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamite from. It's a word that describes sheer force and strength. Not only does God have this sheer force and strength towards us who believe, but they're all in accordance with the working of his strength. That term working describes the energy behind God's power. Man, God is just, he has all this extra energy ready to move forward. Not only his sheer force, but his unending energy uh, behind the strength, the ultimate power, unbeatable strength of God, of his might, which describes the capability and applied power of God. Man, four words. says that you might have confidence in the power of God. Man, you... I pray, Paul says, that he'd open your eyes. That you might be able to believe that God will do what he says he will do. Because the man's got power. And he's got unlimited energy behind his unlimited strength. That's behind his unlimited capability to accomplish Everything. He is in everything and through everything. And all of that power is at work in you. You know, this week, feeling a bit defeated in areas of my life, things that, man, eh, I'm not great at everything. Pastors get overwhelmed too and Struggle with, oh my gosh, how am I going to accomplish all this stuff? This week I was reading through something the Apostle Paul wrote. Romans 8. I want to share it with you. Where it talks about the work of God. So I was thinking this week, man, how did Paul, how was he able to make it through his life? 
with confidence that God could use a messed up guy like him to do all the incredible things that God did through him. My devotions this week happened to lead me to Romans 8. Sharing it with someone else at church, it says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No judgment. No condemnation. You want to know how Paul just kind of went with this confidence and this freedom? He continues. Verse 31, he says, What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies Who is the one who condemns Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. He continues, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, you know what I think? So many of us know about Romans 8. And we look at it and we think, Brian, I don't have that. I don't have that confidence. Because we know Romans 8, but we don't know Ephesians 1. Paul says, I pray you know who you are. You're saints. Not because you deserve it, not because you earned it, not because you can pay it back. You're saints strictly because God chose you to be saints. And he adopted you into his family and he redeemed you. He paid all of your debts and he gave you his Holy Spirit because he gave you a purpose. To be a light in his glory in the midst of a kooky culture just like ours. And Paul says, I pray for you often. Man, you're a great church. Good people who love Jesus. But you're living in the dark. You just see a fraction of what God has in store for you and has given for you. You're fumbling in a dim light room. Paul says, I pray that God shines the light on you. I pray that God gives you a hunger to know him more. I mean, you just know a fraction of who God is, and the more you know about him, the greater the confidence you'll have. Paul says, I pray, shines a light on your life that you would know the hope of the calling. Man, anticipate what God's going to do in you. Everything God has given us is for a purpose, that we might be a reflection of his glory. Paul says, I pray, that God will shine a light on you that all of a sudden it gets bigger than just what you get from God. But it's what you can be a part of building for God. I pray that God opens your eyes and you can be about giving God his inheritance, what he's due. I mean, we've already gotten far more than we deserve or earn. I do not believe the same can be said for God. And then Paul says, I pray that you just get a glimpse of the total power of God. I mean, when you have all of that, the 
greater knowledge of God, a confidence in his call and excitement about it. When you start living for what is due God, not as what is due you, and you start understanding the immense and unbeatable power of God, you're going to live differently. And you're going to pray differently. All of a sudden, our prayers aren't about asking God for all our stuff. It's about giving God all of our stuff. It's about God doing all of his stuff. So my prayer for you, the same thing Paul prayed for another church just like you. I pray that God will give you a hunger for knowing him. I pray that God will turn the lights up in your life. That you will understand the excitement that you ought to have for what God is wanting to do in you. I pray that you can understand the great inheritance that is awaiting God. And we have the privilege to be a part of building it. And I pray you understand his power. You're not going in your might. You're not going in your power. You're not going in his strength. Or in your strength, you're going in his. I pray that you understand the sheer might and power and strength and glory of the God who fills you and is already at work in your very life. Jesus, May you do in our lives what you did in Paul's. May you do in our lives what you did for Harvey and so many before us. May you stir in us and grow in us. May you open our eyes, God, that even good Christians like us in a great church as we are, God, open our eyes that we might see the greatness of your glory and all that you have called us to do. May you give us confidence in your power and hope of the calling that you have given us. We pray everything in Jesus' name. Amen.